Hello and welcome to a very different edition of the Trans 15 Minutes of Football Transfer News Central podcast. I'm Johnny Bentley, your host, but there is no James and there is no co-host because main host Johnny had become a bit preoccupied this weekend and completely forgot to organise a guest or replacement for James because on Sunday night it was the return of the Zoom quiz, quite a controversial one, something I won't get into on here because... Um, I don't want to get into any more trouble than I already am. And also on Monday night, sometimes when we film the podcast when I, we aren't available on Sunday night, on Monday night, not only is it the Burnley versus Wolves game, I'm a big Burnley fan, I can't miss that, but it's also another Zoom Christmas quiz, such as the festive season. And for anyone who's not in the UK at the moment, the festive season is not looking too bright because many places have gone into a tier four now which means a full lockdown um, and the initial plan to have a five or six day I think it might have been five day period across Christmas where people could liaise and talk with their family and meet up that's now been curtailed just to Christmas day and if you're in tier four you don't even have that option it, that, that option's not even available to you so it's all been a bit bar humbug at the moment I guess in Britain as far as Christmas is concerned but hey you know that Christmas joy and and Getting together really is minuscule in the in the grand scale of amid the grand scale of the pandemic that is taking you know so many lives and causing so much disruption across the world. So yeah, you know it's it's uh, it's important that we that we put the lives of people first and we get through this virus in the best way that we possibly can. But anyway, enough about Britain's situation. Enough about the reason why I hadn't managed my diary very well. And I'd like to talk to you a bit about some topics that have interested me in football recently this might not follow the usual 15 minutes of uh, football format because it's just me you're just hearing my voice so I'm going to talk to you about a few topics that have come to light I think in you know over, over the over the recent week and yeah I hope you enjoy listening I think some of the things I'm going to cover, I'm going to look a bit about Liverpool and Mo Salah I'm also going to look at criticisms of Leeds that I think are you know quite you know, ridiculous in many ways. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, Big Sam Allardyce uh, got, returning to the managerial front at West Bromwich Albion. Also look the struggles of Arsenal in a little bit more detail and we'll have a look at some of the results across Europe. So, kick things off with Mohamed Salah. And yeah, you know, the recent days there's been talk of his agent that he's unhappy at Liverpool, which I find to be a bit Odd. You know, the timing seems a bit strange. I know it does seem like the player was unhappy. I think the player said as much that he was unhappy that he didn't captain the team against Midgerland when uh, Jurgen Klopp fielded a much weaker team uh, than he usually would because Liverpool had already gone through to the next stage of the Champions League. But, you know, OK, yeah, maybe, maybe he was a bit upset with that, but to want to leave... You know, in the summer to go to Real Madrid, to go to or, or maybe Barcelona, probably Real Madrid. Uh, they seem like the most likely suitor for Mo Salah. It did seem a little bit out of the blue to me. Uh, his agent's been talking a little bit and there's been a lot of speculation, really. And they've thrown, thrown this on the fire and it's gained some traction. And people are now saying, oh, well, maybe, maybe in the summer he does go to the Barnabas. And, you know, Real Madrid, I think for many years, they got Eden Hazard, it hasn't worked out. Unfortunately, you just can't seem to buy 
much of a break at the moment. Um, if he can stay injury-free, get himself back on track fitness-wise, I'm sure you know, Eden Hazard will be a, a, a wonderful success in Spain. But it just it's been it's been stop start for him so far. And regardless, I think they need another another attacker really to to get the goals because Hazard himself he's never been a, a goal scoring winger as such, someone who bangs in really high numbers. He's been a he's been an, a mercurial talent, a wonderful player to watch. Poetry in motion actually when he gets the ball, but he's never been maybe that ruthless goal scoring wide player that. Some people maybe thought he was. Well, that's what Cristiano Ronaldo was. And, you know, Gareth Bale to an extent as well on the other side. When he was in his prime, that's what he was. So when they had Bale, Benzema, Ronaldo, they could blow teams away with that forward line. Uh, and, and Ronaldo, you know, the focal point of that really, drifted in from the left-hand side. He was an incredible player for Real Madrid. And when he left, you know, it's a big hole to fill, a big gap to fill. Even for Hazard, Hazard's not Ronaldo. So even a fully fit, fully energised Hazard isn't going to replace the goals that Ronaldo scored for Real Madrid. But with Mo Salah, you've got someone... You know, he's, he'd be on the other side, of course. He'd be on that right-hand side. But cutting on his left foot, he is someone who is capable of getting a lot of goals for Real Madrid. I don't think he's as good a finisher as Ronaldo. I don't think he's as efficient in front of goal as Ronaldo. I think he misses a lot of chances, actually. Uh, something not many people really talk about. But what separates Salah from many of the other players is that he is a player who has ridiculous levels of confidence. If he misses a good chance, he'll still make the run to, to miss that chance again and again and again because eventually he knows, he thinks, or he knows that he will find the back of the net. I actually think his technique, his shooting technique sometimes just seems very strange. Sometimes it looks great. Sometimes you think, why has he hit it like that? You know, it's not like Thierry Henry for Arsenal, for example, when he runs through on goal and it's always, you know, finished with such delicacy and and uh, finesse. It's, it's not, not always like that sometimes. I mean, even his, even his technique with penalties, people have said, it's quite. It, it seems to just go for power. It's never in the corner. He scores most of his penalties, so it doesn't matter. But his technique is a bit unorthodox for a player at the you know, who many would argue to be world-class, that is something that, you know, does look a bit out of place sometimes, I must say. But it works, you know, it works and he's done wonders for Liverpool and I think he'd do very well for Real Madrid, but I'm still unsure whether there is traction to those rumours. And you've got to say, you know, they've been linked with Mbappe and, and Salah, Real Madrid. You know, would you pay £140 million for Salah or would you pay 200 for Mbappe? Well, I personally would pay 200 for Mbappe. Because, you know, Mbappe is a much younger player than Salah. Um, Salah's 28 years old, in June he'll be 29, so he's got less, you know, time to develop. I mean, I think Mbappe is a better player than Salah is now, to be honest. Very close um, in terms of ability. But Mbappe, I think, now is probably a better player than Salah is. And, more importantly, Mbappe is only 22 years old. He's got time to develop and grow into an even better player. And I don't think you get that with Salah. I think you, what you get now is someone who is at the peak of his powers, and he probably will be for another two or three years, maybe, if he, if he did make that move. Energised by the chance of a new challenge, I think he'd, he'd yeah, I think he'd be definitely, he could definitely grow into the role at Real Madrid and, and be that dominant goal scorer for the next two, three years. But with Mbappe, you've got someone who can, you know, he could be the next, well, don't want to say the next Ronaldo because he was a phenomenon, but he could be the, one of the next big attackers for Real Madrid for the next 
10 years if they want. So there's been talk that they link with both of those. And I think if they were to get both of those, I'd be thinking, my word, this is now the scariest attack in Europe. But realistically, I don't know if they can get both. It's very, you know, especially in the era of FFP, especially during the time when coronavirus is decimated the the finances of many of Europe's biggest clubs. I don't know if they can go and do that. So lots of ifs and buts, I think, at the moment, really, with that, as, as far as that's concerned. But what I would say is that um, w- with this situation, Liverpool shouldn't worry at all. I don't think they should worry in the slightest because we've seen this season how they have coped when key players have, have suffered injuries. Virgil van Dijk being one, and they've still managed to keep clean sheets with Fabinho even playing as a makeshift centre-back. We've seen uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold injured. We've seen Alisson injured. We've seen... Salah himself was was out with coronavirus and Liverpool still managed to, I think they got a 3-0 victory over Leicester in the league, high-flying Leicester. So this is a team that, with Jurgen Klopp at the helm, is has such an elite mentality and an elite level that if it doesn't matter which player leaves, they are not reliant on anybody. So long as Jurgen Klopp's at the helm, the mentality of the team's still intact, the, the winning desire is still intact, and the style that they play is still there, then they can lose any one individual and it will not matter too much. Look at what they did when Coutinho left. He was probably one of their, well, he was one of their key players. They didn't miss him. Van Dijk's injured for a long period of time. Best defender in the world, according to many. They haven't missed him greatly. You know, so what's pleasing for Liverpool is they won't want to lose Salah. They want to give him a new contract. And if they do lose him, it will be a blow. But they won't be scared. They won't be scared about losing him. And if they get 140 million, they can get a good replacement. And they don't have to spend that all on one player. They can spend it like they did with Coutinho, where they bought Allison and Virgil van Dijk. They got two world-class performers for one. And they've taken the team to the next level. So, yeah, if Liverpool got 140 million or, or, or thereabouts for Salah, get a replacement in. You know, they've been linked with Jadon Sancho, actually. They've been linked with Jadon Sancho. They've been linked with Erling Haaland. And Mbappe as well. Mbappe would be a bit unrealistic, even though the player does have a liking to Liverpool. He speaks fluent English as well. I still think financially it would be tough to, to make that move. I think Sancho is a possibility, but he hasn't had his best year at Borussia Dortmund. However, yeah, you, you could imagine that he would thrive under Jurgen Klopp, a manager that takes promising talents, you know, exciting talents, and he's more, he takes them and he, and he takes them to the next level. So I think that's a possibility. And I would say Haaland would be incredible for Liverpool, but the idea, you know, of a Mino Raul, the player coming into Liverpool, does have a bit of a an issue an issue attached there because Liverpool's squad's very harmonious. Jurgen Klopp's at the centre of that of that squad. You don't hear much about you don't hear many agents talking out loud about their clients. Okay, we've heard Salas recently, but not really heard it too much. And you know, Mino Raiola is a player who is a manager, is an agent, sorry, who likes to be vocal, who likes to stir the pot a little bit. And if if one or two seasons into his Liverpool career, Erling Haaland's agent says, "Oh, actually, he might want to pay raise. He's not happy with this. He's not happy with that. He wants to go to um, one of the Catalan giants." Then you're not going to want that. So I think there's a bit of a doubt there with the players' representative as to whether Jurgen Klopp would move for him. I mean, the 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 collective uh, morale is better than the the excitement of one individual player who could disrupt that collective spirit, I think. 
I mean, you can you just look at where Salah and, and Mane came from. Salah was a very, very talented player in Italy at the time for Roma. He was a, he was a very good player, but he wasn't anywhere near the level he is now. Same with Sadio Mane, very talented player for Southampton's come in and look what he is now. And I think, actually, if Salah did go, that Mane could become the player that Liverpool look to first and foremost for the gold. He's capable of that. You know, in some ways, he's better than Mohamed Salah for the things he does off the ball. Uh, he's got a better work ethic. He's stronger. And, you know, he's actually, you know, he turns up in a lot of games and he often gets similar goal returns each year. So that would necessarily be a bad thing. If Mane became the main man, Liverpool replaced him with a player who could grow into the role. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's something they could look at, to be honest. But uh, we'll have to wait and see, I think, as far as that's concerned. Only time will tell, I suppose. But um, but yeah, very exciting, I think, to uh, to see what happens. Anyway, we'll leave that there. And we'll probably go on to... Yeah, we'll go on to Leeds, actually, I think. Because Leeds have... They've just been hammered, actually. 6-2 at Old Trafford. And I think that... Um, I think that many people were out in force saying, oh, you can't play this way, you know, and expect to survive in the Premier League. And I'm thinking, well, that's just a bit ridiculous. You know, one... Manchester United are a very good team that can score lots of goals. They beat RB Leipzig 5-0 not too long ago when they were still in the Champions League. And they have some phenomenal forward-thinking players. OK, Leeds didn't necessarily turn up on the day and their style probably did contribute. Well, no, not probably. It did contribute to the mauling that they got. But you've got to admire the way they play. And Roy Keane said this as well. Marcelo Bielsa is a man of principle. He won't neglect those principles for anyone. And he is a, you know, he's done a phenomenal job at Leeds. He got the club that no one could get back to the Premier League, back to the Premier League. And he got them there, not with the, not with the biggest budget, but with the best tactics and the best uh, way of playing that he possibly could. The players all bought into it. They ran as far as almost any opposition in the Championship. They entertain their way to the top of the championship table and they've carried that momentum, they've carried that philosophy into the Premier League. Okay, lost, they lost 4-1 to Crystal Palace, lost 6-2 to Man United, but they won some games brilliantly along the way as well. Beat Fulham 4-3, you know, had a really entertaining game with Manchester City, which was 1-1. And, you know, they, they, they've picked up the points, really. They've picked up more points than the other two promoted teams. And... You know, I think I think what's key here is you see parallels a little bit with Norwich City, but I think the difference is the way Bielsa has his ideology ingrained into the squad. I think, I think that you know they are they are of the mindset that they will get the points, they will win the games, they are going to get some trouncings, but they will win enough games, they will pick up enough points to survive. I think the problem with Norwich last season was they didn't think that. You know, there are a lot of inexperienced players. Uh, Daniel Farker, not as experienced a manager as Bielsa, uh, who's managed in various divisions, managed in Europe, uh, got a wonderful CV at his disposal. And you get the sense that that, that, that at Leeds, that capitulation that happened with Norwich, where they just looked sapped of confidence uh, in the second half of the season. You don't, I just don't see that happening with Leeds. I think they'll lose a few games heavily, and I think they'll win games along the way. If someone said, you know, would you rather your team had would you rather your team played in the way that Leeds didn't finish 16? Would you rather your team played in a more pragmatic way where they lose games 2-0 and they win games scruffily 1-0, um, drew a few games 0-0? Uh, 
and finish 15th. You know, roughly finishing in the same position. The pragmatic team does what it can to survive. Leeds playing their own way and they survive. Every time you're picking Leeds. Every time you're picking Leeds. And, you know, I, I find it baffling that some, some people think that he's, that, he's, that he's steering the club towards relegation. I mean, have you not watched some of the other games this season where they beat Newcastle 5-2? Uh, beat Fulham 4-3 Gra- ground out a good 1-0 win against Sheffield United you know, have, you, have they not been watching those performances are they only focusing on the heavy defeats I'm not sure but it's a breath of fresh air to come up from the championship play in that manner where you know he plays like a top 6 team would play and that takes balls it really does because he doesn't have the budget of the top 6 team so to do that you know you, 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 you're asking God I'm going to go one for one man for man with teams and players that are on paper better than mine. That is ballsy. It really is. And full credit to him for doing that. And, and I personally think, because he's ingrained a mentality into that squad that is almost of the elite level where they think, you know what, we can win every game. We aren't going to go under. I think they'll be all right. I think they'll, be, I think they'll probably finish bottom half, but I think they'll be okay. If they finish bottom half, playing as they've been playing, lose a few games heavily, then they'll absolutely take that. Um, and you ask Newcastle fans, you ask Newcastle fans who are probably going to survive under Steve Bruce, they're grinding out jammy draws and wins, you know, without entertaining in the slightest. It's quite turgid to watch at times. I'd, say, I'd go as far as to say as they've been the luckiest team in the division to be where they are because they should have lost more games than they have. You ask them, would they rather be in Leeds' position under a manager that's you know, trying to win games in the right way. Yeah, they're going to lose quite a few games, but would you rather, but, you know, would you take the lead? You would take the Leeds position. You would absolutely take the Leeds position. And as a Burnley fan, you know, I'm not going to ask Sean Dyche to compromise his style. He's done wonders for this football club, uh, wonders for my football club, and he's a legend of the football club. Uh, but if you ask any Burnley fan, and we kind of, you know, Burnley fans kind of embrace the anti-football narrative that goes on, that, the, you know, the players sit deep. It's not pretty at times, but, they manage to grind out wins and work hard to get these 1-0 victories and 0-0 draws. But if you ask the Burnley fans, would you rather play like Leeds do or how Burnley do? You would say how Leeds do. That's not saying we want Sean Dyche out. That's not saying we want, you know, a different brand of football. We absolutely appreciate everything Sean Dyche does at the football club. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of an appreciation for that football. It's amusing. And we, we, there is kind of a liking for it. Schahousery. I won't say the word just in case it's it's banned, but Schahousery. You know what I'm talking about when I say that. No one likes us. We don't care that mentality. And the fans buy into it and they they kind of like it. But, you know, no one would turn their nose up at at Leeds. And I think anyone who criticises Bielsa for their old heavy defeat is just jealous, to be honest, of what Leeds have got and what their club hasn't. But uh, yeah, I, I believe. I certainly believe in Bielsa. I love watching Leeds and uh, I think they'll survive bottom half uh, and they'll be all right. They'll be okay. I don't think this is Norwich 2.0. I really don't because the, the squad mentality is different and the belief's different. They've got a bit more character, I think, than that Norwich team that capitulated in the second half of the season. Although Norwich could benefit from that if they come up next season, which it looks like they might do, uh, they'll benefit from that hardened they'll get a hardened seal from the, the struggles of that season in the Premier League with Daniel Farker. They stuck with him. Looks like they're going back up. They can keep doing as they, uh, well like they are doing. 
And, you know, if they can come up next season, then then I think they'll be much better for the, the struggles of the season that they had last season, the top flight. Okay, so just a few words uh, as well. Big Sam Saviour, yeah. So I was shocked as as, as anyone really when when after the one one throw at the Etihad, West Brom decided to sack Slavon Village. I thought it was crazy actually. Um, but you know, even asking me as a Burnley fan, you know, or or any fan who looks at the the relegation dogfight that it is, you know, would I expect? Would I be expecting West Ham to survive? under Sam Allardyce, more than I would under Slavon Bilic? The answer is probably yes, because, you know, this is a man who's never been relegated. He has a blueprint for survival. He's pulled teams around that were sinking ships. He's shown his his, his style. It's the complete opposite to Marcelo Bielsa in many ways. Defensive-minded first, minimal risks, almost Sean Dyche-esque, I suppose, from looking at it from a Burnley point of view. And he's going to go in. It's not going to be pretty. And I think... I think I would, yeah, I'm looking at it now and if he gets a few of his players in, in January, I would back them more with Sam Allardyce than I would with Slaven Bilic, even though I think the sacking was incredibly harsh because that West Brom team should finish 20th, should finish 20th and currently the 19th. So in my opinion, they're, they're exceeding expectations. And, you know, and he hasn't really been, he hasn't been given a lot of money. And I mean, they, they got rid of Hegazi as well um, without telling him. And that left a bit of a, a sour note, a sour taste in the mouth, sorry. So the, it's not very nice. I mean, there's very limited loyalty in football. And I'm very proud, you know, with my club, Burnley, we are quite loyal to Sean Dyche and appreciative of what he has done in the past, both fans and owners. So, you know, there'd been a time in the past where I think Everton won 5-1 at Turf Moor and the writing looked like, for many people, it was on the wall. Sean Dyche had to go. How could he, how could he survive this? Burnley were in peril. The board stuck with him, the fans stuck with him, he turned it round and Burnley were Burnley were bouncing by the end of the season. They were doing really well. So loyalty goes a long way in football. Uh, and there's absolutely no loyalty towards Slavon Bilic there. Uh, but yeah, from the outside looking in, would I think that they have a better chance of Allardyce? Probably. Do I think they'll still go down? Probably. I mean, they lost 3-0 to Aston Villa at the weekend. Uh, although going down to 10 men probably contributed to that significantly. Uh, and you can't really go down to 10 men and expect to pick up points in the Premier League when you're in the position that West Brom are in. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a really difficult one, really. And this could be the first season uh, Sam Allardyce gets relegated because I do think it's a squad that is destined for relegation unless they seriously back Allardyce in January. They've been linked with Andy Carroll. I mean, he'd probably get in the team at present. They don't really have... I know Carl and Grant is a player I actually quite like. But he hasn't really transferred his skills into them at the moment in, the, in this in this division. So, yeah, it's it depends how much they back him. Otherwise, it's tough to see. I think they have a better, just in summary, I think they have a better chance of surviving under Allardyce. But I still think that uh, they're very, very, very up against it. Okay, so going to Arsenal struggles now. I mean, they are, you know, they are in a difficult position. And I mean, it's crazy because right at the start of the season, I was telling everyone on this podcast, as was James, how Mikel Arteta was the best of the three managers, really, in terms of uh, Mikel Arteta, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Frank Lampard. He was the best equipped to do well in the um, of, of those three managers, the three upcoming managers at big clubs. And now he's at the bottom of the pile and it's quite incredible. I put it down to really a lack of, you know, there being so many problems at Arsenal. The Ozil situation is not ideal, and some people I'm inclined to believe as well 
that the Ozil situation isn't entirely football related. It might be something to do with political things. Please look at that if you want. I probably won't go into it more in detail on here, but something you should maybe have a have a nosy at on Google or Twitter. But there's that situation. There's the whole idea that half of the squad aren't good enough anyway, and they only brought in two players in uh, ja in the summer. Uh, so I was coming, and everyone expected him to be the next coming. Uh, unfortunately, he's very young, and Arteta doesn't quite fancy him as of yet. So been playing with persisting with Rob Holding in that position. We know I don't think he's not the answer long term. But yeah, there's just so many players that just don't seem to have that mentality. And, and, and bizarrely, well, I said this before, they made they, they gave Ozil a big contract and it's always risky doing that because, you know, he's, he was getting on it to an extent and to give a player that much power, that, that big a contract is always dangerous. It seemed a bit misplaced at the time and it was proven right. Now, Bamiyang was in fine form before he got his contract, but again, he was 31 and to give him such an extortionate contract, I think £350,000 a week, is always a risk, unless it's Messi, unless it's Ronaldo. Whichever player you give that to, you're basically saying, OK, we are a one-man team, essentially. We need you. We absolutely need you. and. Looking at his looking at his past record, perhaps that that suggestion is was vindicated. But once you do that, once you put all your eggs in that basket on a thirty-one year old, you know, so maybe subconsciously, maybe he's not done it consciously, but subconsciously he thinks, right, I've got my last big payday now. I've done it. I've earned it. And maybe he drops off to eighty percent. Maybe he's at playing at one hundred and five, hundred and ten percent of his effort, and now he's at eighty. You know, it's not it's not just a Bamiyang's fault. Of course, the whole team's lacking completely in terms of. You know any any kind of cohesion or coher- coherent play, but Aubameyang, who was so often the saviour, has gone missing since that contract on many games. And you know, you just got to think: was that another expensive mistake on a thirty-one-year-old as well? Willian, I think, is thirty-two years old. And Lacazette's twenty-nine, on almost appear- go- going to thirty. There's a lot, and Özil, of course, at the wrong side of thirty. I think he's thirty-two. A lot of over thirty-year-olds here, and that's the hope. That was what Arsenal were pinning the hopes on. Older, the older people, you know, the, the the tried and trusted. And instead of having the tried and trusted effect, it's more been the fact that, you know, it's like they've got nothing to prove now. So it's just going through the motions. William started the season quite well, fallen off a cliff since then. It just seems to be like a Bamiyang. It's not quite there, maybe at 70%, 75%. And it's really frustrating for Arsenal to see that, Arsenal fans. And I also think with Arteta, first job, you know, so, sort of talk that he's lost the dressing room. He appears to be a man who wears his heart on his sleeve. He seems to be quite an angry man, you know, someone who struggles to contain his emotion when he's angry. And, you know, in his first job at the club, there's a lot of, uh, a first job at a football club, sorry, as a manager, there's, there's a lot to contend with. And he seems to be getting angry quite a lot. And that can leave players maybe a bit scared. If they've not got the right mentality, it can leave them on the other side where they, where they want you gone. And it's it's a bit dangerous. We've seen Jose Mourinho try that style at Man United. It just didn't work. You know, by the end, he was, he was, he'd lost the dressing room. And Arteta, maybe after just three months or so into the new season, or three or four months in, he might be losing the dressing room. We just don't know. Uh, but if reports are to, believe, are to be believed, the Arsenal hierarchy are going to try and sit with Arteta and try and change the culture of the club, harden the clubs, add a steeliness to the club. And that means getting rid of a lot of the deadwood at the club and replacing them with the right kind of characters. Good luck with that. I don't think Arsenal are going down, but I think it's a long way back to the road of 
of where they want to be. It's a long way back to where they were under Arsene Wenger. The grass isn't always greener, is it? So, yeah, that's, um, that's kind of my look at, at three of the biggest stories in England. Uh, just to have a quick talk about some of the results across Europe now as well, like we usually do um, in this podcast. And yeah, one, one result that caught my eye is after Lucy Favre has been sacked, it hasn't been all sunshine and roses for Borussia Dortmund, who lost 2-1, I think, to Union Berlin on Friday night, which is not a good result, really, as they try to turn their fortunes around. One positive was it was a wonderful finish, actually, to get the equaliser at the time uh, by Yusufa Mugoko, a um, young 18-year-old striker who was in for the injured Erling Haaland, and it was a fantastic finish. And he's another prodigy at Dortmund who they're really excited about. So, quite amusingly, just like Dortmund are a really good uh, team on the transfer front and on the, on the, on the planning front, Erling Haaland does go next summer for big money. They might already have a ready-made replacement in Bukoko who can come into the fray. Okay, probably won't be quite as good as Erling Haaland, but they'll hope he can grow into the role and deliver um, decent performances in that position. Uh, Of course, that's not necessarily the case. They could get a replacement and he could be uh, in the shadow of that replacement. But again, it's just indicative of the amount of good young options that Borussia Dortmund have, particularly in attacking areas. That 2-1 loss to Union Berlin, just not ideal. Another game where Jadon Sancho struggled. So maybe his transfer valuation of 120 million euros is slowly going down um, and he might be a bit more of an achievable transfer next summer when teams are undoubtedly in for him again. There's another good result as well for Bayern Munich. 2-1 win over high-flying Bayer Leverkusen. And it was the key man, Robert Lewandowski, who got two goals. One in the 93rd minute to win the game. Assist by the brilliant Joshua Kimmich. Um, No surprise there. And it was a wonderful goal, actually, by Patrick Schick. Fantastic volley in the in the first half that put Leverkusen ahead. Unfortunately, as is the case usually when teams think they can beat Bayern Munich, they don't. And they've just been narrow and Leverkusen narrowly beaten again. Such a signal. Uh, 93rd minute, I think they're going to get a point against uh, the German champions, but it was not to be. Leipzig as well, they, they slipped up a little bit at home to FC Köln. Uh, nil-nil uh, in that game. Few games like that, not scoring as many as last season, understandably so, because they're lacking the goal scoring prowess of Timo Werner, but they're still doing very well. Same points as Bayer Leverkusen on 28. Bayern two points ahead of both of them on 30. Wolfsburg fourth on 24, and Dortmund in fifth on 22. To be fair, Union Berlin, who did beat them at the weekend, uh, I'm sorry, last Friday night, in sixth on 21, so not terrible, I guess. Anyway, uh, Atletico Madrid responded in the right way to losing 2 0 to Real Madrid in big. Derby the week before by winning 3-1 against Elche. Uh, Luis Suarez got uh, man of the match and, understandably so, because he got two goals. Uh, really inspired signing that by Atletico Madrid. Perfect Diego Simeone player. Yeah, he's the wrong side of 30, not quite what he was, but I tell you, he's still, he's still one of Europe's better attackers, absolutely. I'd probably put him in my top 10 attackers in Europe. He's scoring quite a number of goals this season. And, you know, he is... It's got, as I say, he's got that tiger mentality that uh, Diego Simeone wants. Really, uh, you know, seven goals in nine La Liga matches on assists as well. I think I think that's quite a nice, respectable record to hold. Um, and you know, Atletico just keep going. They keep going. A bit of a setback against Real Madrid, but they're top of the table, level on points with Real Madrid, twenty nine each, but better goal difference, nineteen to eleven, and they have two games in hand over Real Madrid. 
So that's something they'll cherish. Sofia Dad were top for quite a while, but they've slipped slightly. Third with uh, 26 points, and they played one game more than Real Madrid. Slight dip to their early season momentum, but they'll be delighted with how they started the season so far. Um, and they'll hope to continue their push for a Champions League spot. Yeah, Barcelona in fifth, 2-2 uh, with Valencia at the Camp Nou. Uh, a little bit disappointing, I guess, for them that they dropped points once again. But Lionel Messi, again, man of the match. You know, he did get a goal, but he missed a penalty. Although, to be fair, the goal that he did score was I was after he missed the penalty, he just put it back in. So it's not the end of the world. And he, as we say, he did get man of the match. So often the man that Barcelona still look to, even in these moments of adversity. The problem for Barca, they went 2-1 up. Uh, Ronald Arajo putting them 2-1 ahead, but Maximiliano Gomez with an equaliser in the 69th minute, stopping Barcelona from getting a victory in that game. And it leaves them actually in fifth position, four points off Champions League a spot. Villarreal occupying that with 25 points, but Barca do have a game in hand, so they'll be confident that they can get into the Champions League this season as they look to right the wrongs of their early season disasters. So. That's a quick look at La Liga. We'll have a quick look at Serie A as well, which was, which Serie A is very exciting this year. Very exciting. And, you know, many people make the point that Antonio Conte finishing fourth in the Champions League group that he was in, meaning he didn't get Europa League and he didn't get Champions League, could actually be a blessing in disguise because it means that he can focus his full efforts in Europe because his teams are so obsessed with hard work and outrunning the opposition. It can leave them a bit exhausted when they're playing twice a week now they won't have that burden they won 2-1 against Spezia at the uh, Spezia at the weekend and they are second with just one point away from you know the the uh, their big rivals AC Milan and they AC Milan haven't actually lost a game yet uh, 31 points 9 wins 4 losses Inter Milan 9 wins 3 draws uh, 9 wins 4 4 draws sorry AC Milan Inter Milan 9 wins 3 draws and 1 loss and just behind them, three points behind them, Juventus, seven wins and six draws and no losses. Six draws, not ideal, but no losses. And Andrea Pirlo is getting a lot of plaudits for how he's trying to develop a lot of young players at Juventus. So Ronaldo is still doing phenomenally well. He's still banging in the goals for them. So it's a very exciting, I think, uh, race in, in title race in Italy. Uh, Hakimi and, and Lukaku with the goals in that 2-1 win against uh, Spezia and you know AC Milan with a wonderful win over Sassuolo actually and they scored a goal after six seconds as well Rafael Leal please watch that on YouTube or Twitter or however you want to watch it remarkable goal six seconds absolutely ridiculous so do watch that and then they went 2-0 up later in that first half before late goal by Domenico Berardi uh, brought that game close together, although again, really good win over a you know quite a good team in Sassuolo. So yeah, uh, that I think that's going to be a three pronged race right until the end. AC Milan are the outsiders, but they've they're also the pace setters. Juventus are still in transition of trying to build through some youngsters, and Antonio Conte, after a bit of a staggered start, now looks like he could maybe take that title because he has no European commitments to contend with. So it'd be really exciting to see how that works itself out. Uh, just behind them, Roma, Napoli and Sassuolo, uh, 24 points, 23 and 23. Uh, Atalanta on 21 with a game in hand. You know, they'll be hoping to maybe mount a push for a Champions League spot as well, but they might not be 
in with a shout of the title race this season. It looks a little bit out of their reach. And just a final word, actually, on the French League. Talking, actually, last week about how unpredictable everything is and PSG are no longer, it seems, shoe-ins for the uh, French League. Although... They are in third position and they're only one point off the top two. It's quite remarkable given that they've all played the same amount of games. Of course, the, the fraction nature of this season has contributed to that, but it's still remarkable to see PSG, the money men, Neymar and Bappe and all of the wonders that they have behind. Still, It's still remarkable to see them in third position in a league that's so often ridiculed for being a league of farmers. Well, obviously not quite. They took on league leaders Lille this weekend and they could only get a nil-nil draw so yeah it was it you know that again a really good result for Lille although it is worth mentioning that Mbappe was a substitute Neymar is injured so the front three of Moise Keane, Rafinha and Angel Di Maria isn't quite as exciting as the the front three that that PSG can uh, field uh, and of course I think Neymar's out for a short period as well so that's a bit of a bump to their aspirations uh, it shouldn't be the bump to their aspirations for the league they should still have the quality uh, outside of that to, to 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 take the league end title but proving not not as easy as maybe it once was in recent years especially with the whole uh, pandemic and all the exterior issues going on at the moment it is not easy for them as it's not easy for lots of the big hitters in Europe they're all seemingly struggling to cope with this crazy schedule but it makes it more exciting for the viewer who just cannot predict anything at the moment so i hope you enjoyed my listening to my thoughts uh this should be on itunes buzzsprout spotify and the like james should be back next week or maybe we'll have someone else next week i'm not sure but uh, i quite enjoyed vlogging these thoughts in some kind of way for you to listen to and i hope that you listen to us next week when it should be back to normal and we should have a more structured setup but for now hope you enjoyed it and have a very merry christmas as hard as that may be